Well, good morning. I have to admit, um, I'm running on fumes today. My wife and I, we, we uh, drove to South Carolina on Wednesday, came back on Friday, got home about 11.30 Friday night, and uh, it's been a really uh, great week, but long and exhausting week, uh, but just glad to be home and to ha- had a good night's sleep in my own bed and ready to be here. I- I'm low on fumes, but I got a lot of excitement today about this message. Oh, I'm always excited about everything, right? But when I, I want to talk about a subject today that I have a deep sense of personal experience with. I want to begin this morning by talking about a moment in my life when I discovered that my heart and my soul was dying. When I realized as the minister of this church that I had given up hope and was losing hope. And there is a disease of the spirit, there's a cancer of the soul that will attack your spirit and attack your heart and take away your hope. Even though you belong to Christ, even though you belong to a church, even though you call yourself a Christian, There is a disease of the spirit, a cancer of the soul that will kill your soul. And I want to talk to you about it this morning from a place of personal experience. Now, my point of scripture reference is something that Peter says in 1 Peter 3, uh, verse 15. He says, always be prepared in your hearts, revere Christ, but always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Peter is saying to anyone, not just a minister, but to everyone, he says, you're going to find yourself in situations where you meet people who are struggling with their life and struggling with difficulty, struggling with hardship. And as a Christian person, you're a hope-filled person. Because if we have Christ in our life, we have hope because he has forgiven us and loved us and given us new life. I mean, after all, don't we have a love that's stronger than death? We have a love that won't let us go. A love that loves us in the worst moments of our lives and the best moments of our lives. And so we are going to find ourselves in situations where people are going to look at us and say, why are you so hopeful? Why are you so loving? How how can you be the person that you are in this moment? And we have to give an answer. But if we're not careful, if we're not paying attention, what will happen is over time we'll, we'll lose our hope. And the answer that we give will not be genuine. And I want to tell you about a time uh, uh, several years ago, and I can't really put a finger on the date, but I remember the conversation very clearly when I realized I had lost hope, and I didn't even see it coming. I I don't remember what the conversation was about, but I was talking with another pastor friend of mine on the phone, and we're talking about a circumstance that was going on in our church, a circumstance that was going on in his church, and we were talking And then right in the middle of the conversation, he just said to me, when did you become so cynical? I said, what? He said, when did you become so cynical? Now that's, honestly, uh, people who know me and know me all of my life, probably the last word anybody would use to describe me would be the word cynical. Would you think of me as being cynical? Probably not. I've been, always been enthusiastic. I've always been optimistic. I, I don't remember what it was that caused me to be cynical, but I've become a rather cynical person. 
And as I thought about it after that conversation, I realized that being a minister for, you know, 20-something years, you're in a lot of situations where you see the best in people, you see the worst in people. And a lot of times you do things for people and help people, and it's not always appreciated. And you just get worn down, and you get worn... Anybody ever have this experience? You just help, you help, you help, and you don't take care of yourself. And then after a period of time, what, it's kind of like death by a thousand paper cuts. And what happens is over time, over time, it just all starts to add up. Your heart becomes weighed down with heaviness and a thousand little things that just begin to weigh on you. And before long, what happens is everything begins to be skewed the way you look at people. You begin to become suspicious of people. You begin to distrust people. You begin to, if somebody says to you, hey, I'd like to talk to you, immediately you think it's going to be the worst. I'd like to have a conversation. You think it's going to be bad. Or somebody does something nice for you and you think, well, why are they being so nice to me? Once I realized this, and uh, for a period of my life, I've been a very active uh, writer. I write in, write in uh, journals, our journal every day. I've written thousands of pages in my journal. And I've spent a lot of time writing about this. Why, why have I become so negative? And I will tell you, in order for my heart to be set free from this negativity and cynicism, it was a daily battle and a struggle that went on for over a year with me. Now, this is something I've never talked about. It, you know, it's deeply personal to me. But <clears throat> I had to get up every day and pray for a positive outlook. I had to get up every day and ask God to help me because I knew on the weekend I was going to have to stand up in front of a congregation and share the Word of God in an optimistic and hopeful way. And it's not easy to be optimistic and hopeful when you don't feel that way on the inside. And by the way, if you ever want to know who a person really is, whether optimistic or cynical or negative, don't talk to their casual acquaintances or to the people they speak to. Talk to their wife or their husband. They'll tell you. They'll tell you what's really the condition of their heart. So I, I had to spend a long time, maybe more than a year, where I just every day had to get up and, and to pray, why do I feel this way? Why? Why, why am I so negative? Why am I so distrustful? Why am I struggling to, to really love people? Why am I depressed? Why is my soul so heavy and so downcast? Why have I become such a cynical, cynical person? Let me, let me ask you, is this connecting with anyone this morning in the room? Yeah, particularly if you're a person who's in a field where, you're, you, where you are a person who gives care to others. If you're a person who's a teacher, a public servant, or just anything, where, you, where you're call, call, called upon to lead and responsible for other people, it's really, really easy to become a cynical person. And one of the things, one of the things I realized in thinking about this is, is that cynicism, cynicism is cancer of the soul. It is soul cancer. 
And if it goes untreated, it starts out real small. If it goes untreated, it will grow and grow and grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you won't see it coming. And before long, it has destroyed your soul. My, my prayer is, if you don't hear anything else in this message this morning, I'm going to unpack this a little bit, is that you today will acknowledge it in yourself and that you will turn from it. Because cynicism is sin. It is sin. It's sin because we have withheld our hurts and our sorrows from God. We've not given them to God, and we've tried to manage our own life, and we have failed that we have missed the mark. It, and it is unbelief. It is unbelief. Cynicism is unbelief. Because if you look at who God is, God, God continues to have hope for creation. God continues to have hope for people. God continues to believe the best about people. God never gives up on anyone. And then when a Christian person gives up hope, it's basically saying that this world has gone so far to hell and has become so dark and so bad that not even God can redeem it or save it or, or do anything with it. It's... it's it's atheism. You know, God looked at this world and said that it is good, and he still looks at the world and says that it's good in spite of all the problems. So what is cynicism? Cynicism is a bleak and pessimistic outlook on life where you distrust others, where you're suspicious of other people's motives, where you think the worst and assume the worst about others, and where you will make a judgment about another person without knowing all the facts. And then, even when you know all the facts, you still look at them with derision and with scorn. Let me, let me, let me just give you an example. If you go down to the, to the super Walmart, there's a little place where you drive in, into the lot there off a side street, and there is a guy there often playing a guitar. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen this guy. He's there with a guitar. He plays a guitar, and he sings. And uh, he usually has a sign that says, you know, help, please, or whatever. He's looking for a handout. He's playing the guitar. Now, I will tell you, I don't know his story. I don't know anything about him. I generally, generally, in those situations... I tend to view people with cynicism and skepticism about who they are and what their circumstance is. And as I was preparing for the sermon, I saw him at a different intersection on the night before it got so cold. He was out there wearing gloves with the fingers cut out, playing his guitar, and, uh, I mean, it was freezing. I thought, how can he even touch those strings when it's so cold? And I pulled up next to him, and I... I handed him a few bucks, and I said, don't know anything about you, but any dude that can play the guitar when it's like 34 degrees deserves two bucks for the effort. And I drove away, and I thought to myself, I don't know his story. I don't know what he's going to do with the $2. Does it really matter? I said, maybe my looking at him is more of a reflection of who I am and the way I look at him. That, that, that is an example of cynicism. It shows up as distrust, blame, criticism, suspicion, scorn, pessimism. 
and sarcasm. You, you might say it's an Oscar the Grouch outlook on life. And here's where the, here are the symptoms. They'll begin to show up in your distrust of others. It'll begin to show up when you begin to start making negative, sarcastic comments about other people. So you go to Thanksgiving dinner, drive four hours to be with your family at Thanksgiving, you smile, then you drive home and all you have to say are negative things about the people that were seated around the table to your spouse, example, or people you work with, whatever, negative comments. It is a pessimism about the future, and at its worst, it is critiquing the world without involvement. It's diagnosing the problems in our world without having any desire to engage with it. It's like, it's this sort of look. Is living life with a sneer on your face, with your hands on your chest, and not wanting to get involved. Let me ask you, do you know anyone in your life who is a cynic? How do they make you feel? It's exhausting. Anything you say, they automatically are skeptical of everything and anything. Doesn't it wear you? Isn't it exhausting? But let me ask you, who are you wearing out? Who are you discouraging? Is it possible that cynicism, cynicism has gripped your soul? My prayer this morning is that, is that you will really take an honest look at your heart and look at the way you're looking at the world and ask yourself, have you become a Christian cynic? Well, what causes it? Lots of things, but here are a few. Cynicism is triggered, usually and typically triggered when we feel hurt or angry or resentful about something. And then we begin to allow it to skew our opinion of everything. So this one person on my job hurt me. And then therefore I begin to look at everything through that point of view. What cynicism does is cynicism takes a painful moment and then universalizes it. Universalize. Let me give you an example of what I mean. So I was talking to someone recently who is just a very cynical person. And I said, where does that come from? And the person then told me, the reason I'm so cynical is because my father. My father was never there for me. My father could not be trusted. And I've grown up my whole life not trusting other people because I couldn't trust my dad. If you can't trust the most important person in your life, then who can you trust? And I said to him, I said, so do you have to universalize that? Does it mean that no one can be trusted? Or did you just get a small sample? What happens is we have things happen to us and we get a small sample. And so then as a result, every church, every church is full of hypocrites. Well, that's true, but I mean, <laughs> every church is full of just mean, judgmental people. Well, that's not true. Maybe you had one experience with mean, judgmental people. It doesn't mean every church is. Every elected official 
is corrupt and tainted. Maybe one is, but all they are, are they all? Every minister is this. Every person of color is this. And, and, and then we, we or every, you can't try, every company is like this. And so what happens is we have a bad experience. It skews everything we look at. It poisons our attitude. And then we begin to look at everyone with this mistrustful, distrustful attitude. And it poisons everything in the way we look at the world. Cynicism also is the consequence of being saturated I think cynicism has always been a problem, but I think today that we are more vulnerable to it because we are saturated daily with a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week news cycle that is delivered in the palm of our hands daily and on social media. We live on a diet of negativity, pessimism, prejudice, hate, and fear 24 hours a day, and it skews the way we look at the world. If you live on that every single day, you begin to look at the world as a bad place, and the reality is it's not true. I tell you, I believe there are more good people in the world than bad people. It's just that the bad people get all the press. I hear people all the time complaining about millennials. Are you a millennial? No, you're not a millennial anymore, no. You never were, never will be. You're an old millennial. <laughs> but we, we hear young people are this, young people are that. Let me, let me tell you about an experience I had this last week. I was so impressed. The reason Teresa and I went to uh, South Carolina is we went to Paris Island. And um, we went there because my nephew, three months earlier, we had, here he is. Sorry, Jonathan. Stand up, John. Let me, let me give you, let me just, come on, stand up. Yeah. We are so, we are so proud of him. But he is one of 600 young men that said yes. Put him on a bus to uh, South Carolina with a bunch of other young men down at the MEP station down, uh, downtown at City Hall area down there. Showed up, hadn't seen him in three months. Confident, proud. He's not wearing any, uh, you know, he's wearing pride and, and hope on his face. But we, we got down there and never been down there to see what they went through, what, what they, and these 600 young men said yes to serve their country, said yes to three core values. They dedicate their life to three core values. Mark, you know what they are, because his son's a Marine too. Courage, honor, and commitment. You see, that, that's more a reflection of the world. There are a lot of people in the world, but cynicism says everything is bad, everything is wrong. And you know what cynicism is? It's lazy. It's lazy. It's a lazy approach to the world 
Because if everything is bad, if all politicians are corrupt, all ministers are greedy, all churches are this, all everything, then you don't have to do anything. Why get involved? What's the point of it? And, and the whole thing I want to say is, it is sin. Because it is basically saying that this world is out of God's hands and that God doesn't care about the world we live in and there's nothing that we can do about it. It's sin. It's not what God wants from us. Now, it's understandable. There, there's nothing wrong with being hurt. There's nothing wrong with being angry. Nothing wrong with being frustrated. But the reality is that, w that we, we have to pay attention to our souls. If we hold on to them and we don't let go of them, it poisons our spirit and it goes to negativity and then it becomes cynicism. And then once cynicism has our hearts, it is really hard to set ourselves free from cynicism. In fact, we can't. Why were people attracted to Jesus? Now, if anybody had reason to be cynical, it was Jesus. But why were people attracted to him? They, they were attracted to Jesus because he wasn't cynical. He had a hopeful, optimistic outlook on people and on life. And no matter what happened to him, he just kept living life with an open heart. The reason that people flocked to him, the pe reason that people went to him is because of his openness. He refused to allow life to shut him down and for his hurts and sorrows to become a wound that turned him cynical. If anybody had reason to be cynical, it was Jesus. He was open-hearted. He was hopeful. He wasn't fearful. And I think that's our call. Our call, our call is to be open-hearted and open-handed and to live that way. Let, let me draw you now to 1 Peter 3, 8 through 15. I, I quoted earlier about the hope phrase. Listen to what Peter says. He says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Now, hold this thought. I'm going to I'm going to come back to this. I want to go back and show you what's he talking about being like-minded. He's talking about what he said about Jesus. Earlier he says, Jesus committed no sin, no deceit was in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. He did not, when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about who Jesus is. How Jesus responded. How Jesus didn't retaliate. So he says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, be humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because of this you were called. So that you may inherit a blessing. 
For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Cynicism. Negativity. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I think nothing displeases God more, in my opinion, than the Christian person who has been forgiven of the inexcusable in them, who refuses to forgive the inexcusable in another. It's taking his love for granted. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Listen, if you suffer for doing the good thing, you are blessed. So do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. To revere Christ as Lord means to allow him inside of us to deal with all this. And to make him Lord means to have this optimistic, hope-filled outlook on life. To live for him, to follow him, to walk in his footsteps, to have an open-handed, open-hearted approach toward life. Therefore, he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks them. To give the reason for the hope that you have. So, so let me ask this question. Where do you need to hope again? Where do you need to trust again? Where do you need to believe again? What do you need washed out of your life? So, so, how does that happen? I, th- I think one of the natural places it, it begins is, is you've got to start practicing gratitude. You, you've got to start finding and looking every day for the things in your life that make you feel great, that you're grateful for. You've got to start making a list of all the things and all the blessings that are in your life. Because Gratitude and cynicism can't exist in the same heart. As you become more grateful and more thankful, and then what happens is, is it just begins to push the cynicism out because you begin to look at it and say, there is a lot of good in the world. And it really is this, it is a, it's, a, it's a battle of the mind. That's why Paul says in one of his letters that we... In Romans 12, 2, he says that we must not conform to the pattern of this, of this world. That we must be renewed in our minds. Man, don't we need renewal in our minds? Don't we need to have the way that we think changed? That was the battle for me. I had to get up every day and deal with what was going into my mind. And I'll tell you something I've learned. I'm learning from distance running. From distance running, if you're an endurance athlete and you run long distances, 
You've got to stop listening to yourself, and you've got to start talking to yourself. Because if you listen to yourself, you go, this hurts, this feels bad, I can't do this, I'm not going to be able to make this, why am I doing this? Why can't I just stay at home? Why do I have to get up so early? Why is it so cold? Well, if you listen to yourself, you'll never finish. So you have to start talking to yourself. Let's go, let's go, let's go. You can, you can do it. I know you, you train for this. So, so you, you have to train your mind. You have to stop, start talking to your mind instead of listening to your mind. You've got to start talking to yourself and using positive words of affirmation from Scripture to change the way that you think. It's an ongoing daily battle. It never ends. Cynicism never goes away. It's always creeping outside the door to take over your heart and kill you. And so that's why Paul says in another letter, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. That's why in Psalm 1, uh, the psalmist uh, writes these words. He says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. You know what a mocker is? A mocker is a scoffer and a cynic. No, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of God, in the word of God, who meditates on the word of God day and night. This person is like a tree planted by a stream that feeds their soul. If your life is planted in negativity, you're going to get more of it. You've got to plant yourself and your mind in good things. Are you familiar with the paradoxical commandments? No, written by Kent M. Keith. They've been attributed to a lot of different people, but this is the author. He says this. He says, people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you're successful, you'll win false friends and true enemies Succeed anyway. Come on, help me now. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank. The biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds. Think big. People favor underdogs but follow only top dogs. Fight for a few dog underdogs. Why what you spend your years building up, what you spend your years building up may be destroyed overnight, but build. By the way, Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer uh, from the 16th century, was asked, Martin, what would you do tomorrow if you found out the world was going to end tomorrow? You know what he said? I'd plant a tree. Think about it. People really need help, but may not attack you if you do help, but may attack you if you do help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you have, and you'll get kicked in the teeth. 
but give the world the best you have anyway. So at the end of 1 Peter, we, we, we see these words in 1 Peter 1, uh, 4, 8 through 11. Above all, love each other deeply because love offers and covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. A steward could be ambassador. Could be as a faithful ambassador of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This love that he's talking about here is this love that comes from the one who loved with open arms and open hands. And as I end this morning, I just have to ask you, how is your heart? How is your soul this morning? Has cynicism killing your soul? It's not easy, it's not easy, it's not easy. And it's understandable why you end up in the place that you are. It's, it's understandable we get hurt. But this morning I would just ask you to turn from it and to acknowledge it and to ask him to wash it out of your soul to let him wash it out of your heart so that you can live the life that you've been called to live I would rather go to my grave beat up banged up scarred with an open heart than go to my grave beat up banged up mad as hell